Welcome to the Super Jump Podcast. I'm your host, as usually, Mitchell Farley Wolf, and I'm here with editor at large Wyatt Donigan. Hey, Wyatt, how's it going? Uh, it's been pretty good. I definitely am living up to the editor at large uh, part of my title there, with you know not being on the podcast for God, has it been like <laughs> two months, three months now. I feel it's been a long time. <laughs> well, from one editor at large to another, um, I don't know what it means to be an editor at large, <laughs> but we are that. Uh, that's right. Super jump titles are a bit squishy, um, but it, it, <laughs> we are what feels right to us. Uh, well, this is the Super Jump podcast, the companion audio piece to the Super Jump magazine. Um, we talk about video games. We talk about really just those, and we're going to get really into them in this episode. Now, at the end of this episode, which might be the reason you're even tuning in today... Uh, we have an interview with uh, Gavin Price from Platonic Games. He's the studio head over there. And it was a really great in- interview. I- I'm really excited to share it with you. So just uh, just stay tuned for that to the end of the episode. Uh, but before that, we have our regular segment, such as the Playtime Report. The Playtime Report is, of course, the section of the podcast where we talk about what we've been playing lately and how we feel about it. Wyatt, what have you been playing lately? Um, so lately, I've been playing mainly a, a few different games. Um, so like the the one I've been playing the least, uh, Street Fighter Five. You know, it's been out for three years now, and there's almost always some sort of fighting game that I have like on rotation that I'm feeling at the moment. Um, and that's the one that I'm currently into. Uh, with Evo coming up next weekend, which is the yearly annual big um, fighting game uh, tournament that happens in Las Vegas. And there's supposed to be some pretty big announcements for Street Fighter V, so I'm just kind of getting my feet back in there and making sure that I'm ready for whatever announcements we get next week. So I've been dabbling in that a little bit. I've uh, I've felt that Street Fighter V definitely had a rough start, but as time has gone on, the updates to it and, and uh, just general goodwill around it yeah. have seemed to increase the, that game's uh, perceived quality does that yeah. mirror your yeah definitely yeah when it, it came well? out like it had the online was like super shaky there was no single player content it was basically just like training mode and fighting online so there was no like arcade mode i think there was story mode so but there was no arcade mode um or anything like that so there was just like very little content and then over the last three years now it came out in 2016 um, they've added quite a bit to it, but the the sort of problem now is there hasn't been any new content since December of 2018. Um, huh. So every year up to this, there's been like a full season that's had at least six characters. Um, so there were you know a, a lot of things, and then while we we were expecting to get the season you know three announcement and everything at Capcom Cup in December and said there was just one character, Kage, uh, who is basically like a newer version of uh, Evil Ryu from Street Fighter 4. And that's it. There has been no major updates or anything since then. So everybody's just kind of waiting to see, are we going to get like Super Street Fighter 5 or are we going to get a new season or what? So they've been teasing that they're going to have some major announcements and they've been kind of shaking off rumors of Street Fighter 6 by saying, you know, we're going to be focused on Street Fighter Five for the next few years, so we're expecting something sizable and, and just kind of something to to spark things up just a little bit. Would people want a Super Street Fighter Five, which I can imagine 
only in terms of what that's meant in the series past where like that's an entire new game you have to buy is that something yeah. that people would be interested in versus you know just more continued dlc in on the base game i'm not sure i mean honestly because you know they did they just kind of reset the game in 2018 with the arcade edition which I th- if you had the original version it was only like a 20 dollar upgrade or something like that um yeah something like that i could totally see as, yeah so like i don't know because yeah because i know like ultra street fighter 4 that was like a completely different game um so like i don't know if they're gonna go that route and i mean i guess it would just kind of depend on how like into the game you are and like i guess how much capcom really wants to kind of like generate more revenue um whether or not they're gonna go that route i i mean i think it's more likely that we just get another season um but people have been throwing around the like super street fighter ultra street fighter kind of thing just because we don't really have any idea they've given no real hints as to what's coming so it's just kind of everybody just speculating and trying to figure out exactly what's going to happen I feel like Street Fighter is this really prestigious, high-end, like, fighting game to end all fighting games. Mm -hmm. And it's really only in this entry of Street Fighter V that there's been contenders to the throne, like, in a major way. Probably for the first time since, like, retro Mortal Kombat. I Uh, think so, yeah. Yeah, like... Even Smash Brothers only seems to mm-hmm. have gotten this following as as like one of the big boys in yeah. in the wake of Street Fighter's sort of downfall. Um, exactly, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, because Super like Street Fighter Four was you know massive. Like they had you know tons, and even I guess at the very beginning of of Street Fighter Five, you know, because speaking of Evo. Like, I think Street Fighter V still holds the record of most uh, entrants because the first year it was, it was at Evo, they had 5,000 entrants for the game. Jeez, yeah. Um, and to put that into perspective, Ultimate has the largest Smash uh, tournament this year with 3,500 entrants. So, like, that just shows, like, how many people were really into it at the start of Street Fighter V. But then immediately after that, it just kind of, like, started, has been going down ever since. And there's been a lot of other good games that have come out you know like tekken 7 has been really really hype and it's super fun to watch i mean even soul Calibur 6 samurai showdown Mortal, yeah, Kombat, Mortal 11. Kombat 11 is crazy yeah yeah so i mean there's a lot a lot of, there's i think this is probably one of the best times to be a fighting game fan just because there's so many good games out there because i think all nine games that are at evo this year are fun like i've played i've played eight of them i haven't played um undernight birth whatever the extra things on the end of that are um i haven't played that one but i've played all the other ones and they're all really fun like there isn't one that i would say is bad there's just some that are more fun and just kind of more tailored to different types of or different styles but this is like there there's so many really and there's still so many more that are coming out that are in the horizon as well I've been wondering if it's actually in the best interest for fighting game fans to have all these options or not. Like, in in, in theory, competition is always great at, like, mm-hmm. pushing each other to have more features and, and bigger bang for your buck and, and be yeah. more balanced and everything and, and to have people judge it based on, um, you know, critical issues rather than just what, what you can be flashy with. That said, though, when you only have, like, one to three valid fighting games in the genre all the fighting game fans are working on the same game 
Yeah. And I think that's a really cool idea too, as, as mm-hmm. a as another thing that uh, you you can focus on. Like like in in the mid two thousands, um, who fighting game fans basically had melee and like probably even still street fighter 2 even though uh there, yeah. there were newer street fighters at, at that yeah, point. yeah it's like street fighter 2 and then like third strike were kind of like yeah. the main the main two and then like there were i think mid-2000s so there was like tekken 5 oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Out, tekken, like, tekken so, like, would have been tekken, big, tekken was still time. there but even then tekken tekken has really only kind of gained major prominence in the last like two years because even when tekken 7 first came out like it was good and it was fun but it wasn't as like hype and as talked about as it is now um because i think right now while like street fighter is kind of still like the the mecca of fighting games if you ask a lot of people they'll say that like the most hype game to watch the most fun to watch in a tournament setting is definitely tekken just because just something about the pace of it, the visuals, the the end of the round slow mos when it's down to one hit. It's just it's there's just something about it that just creates a really really fun atmosphere to watch. But yeah, there's just there's so much right now. It almost gets overwhelming, honestly. Like you were saying, like it's it would be a lot easier if there was just three games or you know just a couple that you could kind of focus on. But with yeah. so many, it's just like you're pulled in so many different directions. Yeah, it's not even just about like what what's easy. Like for mm-hmm. for for us, the people writing the articles on, on it, that's it, it is obviously easier. But we, I think, we want to be able to report on more different things and to see a yeah. lot of variety in in the industry. And I want I I I've just been thinking a lot lately about like, like like this is the first Evo that won't have melee, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it it'll only have Super Smash Brothers Ultimate for for Super Smash Brothers. And I, I wonder if we can ever really be taken super seriously as like a viable spectator sport type thing, whether it is or isn't a sport, esports, uh, mm-hmm. if we <laughs> keep throwing away the games over time. Yeah, exactly. You know? and, and if we have so many options and if we have so many different things, unlike in the mid-2000s where you had like three things tops to choose from. Uh, oh, Soul, Soul Calibur would have been at that time. And Soul Calibur, yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, that's a good one too. Like maybe, maybe that is a better. Even though it's a lot less exciting, there's going to be less hype, less entrance in general. Maybe mm-hmm. that's a more healthy thing. I don't know. It's just something. I've been yeah, about. I mean, that's kind of something that's talked about a lot with just esports in general, not even just fighting games. Because I mean, if you look at a game like Counter Strike, never changes. So like, mm-hmm. if you watch Counter Strike, you know what you're going to get. But if you watch, say, um, Call of Duty every year they're playing a new game so it's kind of like and even within call of duty there's been talks of like okay are we eventually gonna slow this down like if we want this to become an actual thing do we just say all right we're gonna just go all in on one game give it continual updates but let's just work with this one product instead of every year hitting the reset button and yeah i thought for sure black ops 4 was gonna be like an entry point for the series into that slower yeah. release cycle because it had a battle royale mode which you, mm-hmm, you'd think exactly. like you'd want to sustain for a long time yeah but even then it's like we thought that but then you know you have modern warfare coming out and then the, there was already that massive report from jason schreier about you know the activision took the next black ops that's going to come out in 2020 away from uh 
I believe it was away from Sledgehammer and gave it to Treyarch. So they're basically, so they kind of broke their three studio cycle. But that tells us again, 2020, there's going to be another Call of Duty after this one. So it's like, it looks like through at least 2020, they're still going to be doing these, this yearly cycle. So it's just kind of, kind of confusing about like where we want to go is in terms of esports. Yeah. Uh, in, on a completely different wavelength. Uh, I've been playing and I finished in between the last episode where I talked about having started it um, and now I finished Outer Wilds and that is an amazing game Wyatt uh, hmm. probably a contender for my I, I mean I don't I don't want to say anything yet but it, it might be the, my favorite game I've played this year um, wow okay yeah yeah for sure it's uh, do you know anything about this one I don't know I think I've heard of it but I don't actually know too much about the game itself so it's frequently confused with Outer Worlds, which is the Obsidian game that's coming out later this year. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it's not that. Uh, it is a game where you are you play this alien dude. It's first person. You go around, and you you're on a really tiny planet, like almost Mario Galaxy sized, but like a little bigger than that. Uh, mm-hmm. And you're talking to all your alien friends and they say hey are you excited about going up into space today and you're like yeah i love that i love being an astronaut so then you get in your ship uh and you you go out and explore your solar system and it's got like five major planets on it for you to explore and you you, you fly in in real time you you, you direct the the ship um that, that if the controls on the ship are, are really fun to learn. They're, they're kind of hard to, to get a grasp on, but they're fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, 22 minutes into that experience, the sun explodes. And you kind of do a Majora's Mask type thing where you repeat the cycle again and again and again. Oh, um, okay. And just th- there's all these mysteries in, in the solar system. It, it, it A few loops in, it, you realize, hey, this is a puzzle box. This The whole solar system is this like collection of clues as to what's going on um it it feels a bit like a metroidvania in the way that you you take a clue that you find in one section of the solar system on one planet and you think okay this this was on brittle hollow apparently on brittle hollow someone discovered something that makes me think i should go to ember twin and you go to this other planet and and you you uh use your knowledge that you found from this other planet on that planet, kind of like, you know, in, in a Metroidvania, you would use your, your super missiles that you find on a, on a door somewhere earlier in the game to, to explore more places, but 100% of what you can do in the game is available to you from the beginning of the game. There is no there's no upgrades at all. There's no, like, additional tools that you find. The only thing that grows is your mental repository of information. And... Hmm. That sounds really interesting. It's really cool. It, like... It, it makes you feel like an actual like anthropologist or archaeologist where, where you're just looking through old information, trying to dig things up and legitimately trying to piece together um, clues. And it's not just like a game. It's not like most Sherlock Holmes games where I, I feel like they kind of miss the point of what a mystery is supposed to be. Yeah. Where they, they say like, if you combine this item with this item, Sherlock Holmes will figure out that the killer used these two items together. It, it's not like that, because like 100% of it always takes place in your head. Like every yeah. everything that you solve, 
you actually solve using like the clues that you find in real life and that's it's so cool it's such an interesting premise i i recommend it to just about anyone um although if if you're a kind of person that like if if you have a hard time getting into games that are mostly like lateral puzzle solving like that it, it may not be for you um but i would recommend you check it out no matter what anyway and see if it is i played it for free with xbox game pass which i need to continually remind our audience is not sponsoring this show which how <laughs> despite how much i like to talk about xbox game pass uh and how many games i'm getting for free with xbox game pass which i'm also getting for free with xbox game pass uh halo the master chief collection uh i'm, I'm a bad right. gamer wyatt because i just <laughs> never i i play a lot of halo but i've never finished a halo game I just there's yeah, something I about think, it. I don't. I think I finished for. two and three, but I did not finish one, four, or five. <laughs> yeah, and then and then on top of the one through five, there's there's Reach and and Wars and everything. Oh, right, and like, yeah. I feel like it's this incredibly well liked, well respected cornerstone of video games. That like you should at least you should at least like Halo. And yeah. I've I've never loved it. I I haven't disliked it at all. But um, I I saw that I had Master Chief Collection for Freezes with my uh, with my Game Pass, so I I decided it was it was about time I get into the Halo and you know what, it's it's pretty fine. <laughs> I, I I feel like I'm upsetting someone out there with with like not liking Halo. It's just there's a weird thing where it feels old now, and mm-hmm. when Halo first came out. I feel like when I said like you know I, I don't I like this but I don't I don't love love this I feel like people were w- would say to me like uh, you're stuck in the past you're playing platformers and, and turn based RPGs and stuff this is the new thing and now when I when it feels old people are saying like yeah but you gotta res- understand it was old it, you know it, it's it was a product of its time and, and, and stuff. So, like, it, it went from being too new for me to being too old for me, and there was no time in the middle <laughs> where it canceled out. <laughs> and and that's that's a, a weird thing. It's just about me. It is no in, in, uh, <laughs> like indication of whether or not Halo is a good game or not. But it, there's so many things about my experience with Halo that I, I feel are telling of how people view older games and and Mm -hmm. i wonder if like all of my favorite late 90s or early 2000s games are pretty much this same thing to other people like maybe there you can't even get into them if you weren't there at the beginning anymore i don't know or maybe it's (laughs) like halo which is like i can get into halo i can play halo i'm yeah uh, like I, i can finish a mission in halo it's not hard it's not like I mean, it can be hard, but it, it's not—it's not like a difficult thing to get into. It's just there, there's not there's not much to it for me. There's not yeah. like I'm not finding a part of Halo that really resonates. Yeah, I can I can feel that because like I remember when when the Master Chief Collection first came out, I like I bought it and like I played through the first one. And, like it was fun to you know hit the little slider to turn off the the remaster part, turn oh, yeah. it on and off like mid mission just to kind of see what it looks like. Yeah, that's a really cool like, feature. Yeah, like I think it was fun just for that. And I think I only played like 3 missions because I mean, while Halo is a good game, especially the first one, 
Like, it was sort of groundbreaking for its time, but looking back on it, it's a very simplistic game um, that doesn't really have a lot of like features that have become standard with shooters and everything. And then... But, I mean, I think I kind of feel the same way about Halo in general. Like, I love playing... I, lo- I love the online part of Halo a lot more than I do the actual story. And I think that's probably the vast majority of people sort of have those feelings for Halo because of their original experience with Xbox Live, with Halo 2 and all that sure, kind of stuff, yeah. and, and Halo 3. Because, like, the games themselves, like, they're good, but they're not amazing. Like, just playing through the story. Uh, especially because every Halo is kind of structured the same. You fight against... You know these people, and then the flood show up at some point, and then you fight against in a, a different type, or even if it's not the flood, it's like some sort of version of the flood. So, but I'm excited for the new Halo, though. Completely different sort of tangent, but yeah, it, I'm curious to see what they're gonna do with that. Well, I'm I'm excited for it in in the way that I was probably gonna be excited for anything with this much like budget from from Microsoft right now. Uh, like mm-hmm. for this is the new console. This is what it's gonna look like, and, I, and I, yeah. it does look very cool. But it's also being marketed as like it's a back to basics. Like we're gonna return to what the what made the original Halo great. And here I am struggling with liking the original <laughs> Halo. I'm like, no, wait. You're like, wait, no, hold on, wait. wait why are we doing this? <laughs> um. But there, there are also two newish uh, Nintendo properties that uh, we got to talk about here in Playtime Report before we wrap up. Why you're playing Fire Emblem Three Houses? Yeah, it's been really fun. You know, I didn't really have any desire to play this game until I think like Tuesday. Um, you know, the game <laughs> wow. came out on a Friday, and mm-hmm. I had seen the trailers and I had you know seen talk about it, but I've just never been a huge Fire Emblem fan. I played Awakening when it came out, and then I played a little bit of the the like mobile game. Um, Heroes, yeah, yeah, Heroes, yeah. I played a little bit of that, but I've never really kind of dove really deep or kind of gone deep into this this franchise. So I was just kind of like, oh, like it's you know, it was exciting. You know, I was happy for Fire Emblem fans because it's you know, return to to console Fire Emblem and all that kind of stuff. But I wasn't really excited. But then I was reading some. Uh, some articles about it in leading up to the release and i guess i never realized that it has this whole section of you know like the the school simulator part of it where you're a professor and you have to yeah. do lectures and kind of the, i didn't realize that that was such a big component of the game um so once i realized that that really drew me in a lot because i was like oh if it's just you know just all turn-based stuff like i like those kind of games but i don't know if i'm really wanting to play a whole game of that yeah, it reminds me of Persona, like the way the social yeah. aspects of it. it uh, oh yeah, hundred percent itself with the other aspects of the game. Yeah, and it's fun. So it kind of it, it breaks up things a little bit, so you're not just like continuously doing this, you know, turn by turn or you know these these missions. Um, so I think I've played probably about like four or five hours of it um, so far in the last couple of days. Um, or actually today is Saturday, so it came out yesterday. So I played about yeah about four hours, um, and it's been really fun. Uh, I I like the whenever you know in between missions you have to go through the the monastery and there's different people to talk to and I'm one of those people that if there's if there's someone to talk to I have to clear out like their their bubble or else I can't move on. Um, yeah, I'm yeah, very yeah. compulsive with things like that. So so I've I've been you know enjoying it a lot. So it's been a nice change of pace from kind of 
my previous experiences with Fire Emblem games. And I've heard that there's a lot of, you can really kind of dig out a lot of lore and stuff from talking to the characters and doing a lot of the support conversations and stuff like that. So I'm excited to get deeper, but I definitely, if you're on the fence, I would say just give it a try because it seems like it's a sort of different take on Fire Emblem. It's still got the, the, the main elements in terms of like the battle, but it's also got like all this other stuff that's really cool as well. Um, which house did you pick? I picked the uh, Black Eagles. That one's seeming to be pretty popular. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That's the. I thought or going into it, I thought I was gonna pick the Leicester Alliance. Um, Is that the after the, the yellow one? The yellow one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But after talking, because you know they let you talk to each of the people, and you can kind of look through the students and see who's in the class and you, they'll give you little short blurbs about each of the all the students and stuff and just something about the the black eagles i was like i, re- I like this I, I think i'm gonna go with this one and you can recruit all the other students as time goes along as well so even if they're not in your house you can eventually recruit them into your house um but just kind of like from the outset i liked the set of students that were in that house um but I'm excited. But I'm also excited to, once I finish this one to go through the other houses playthroughs, just because I've heard that there's a lot more replay replayability from that aspect as well. Yeah, it seems like entire like missions are different. Like you, you don't even have the yeah. same path through the game. Exactly. Um, yeah, I, I've really wanted to check this one out. Actually, I for some reason I just never like gravitate toward Fire Emblem, but this one kind of like you were saying just just the 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 social school mm-hmm. aspect plus um you know being the first console game in a long time so it looks a lot better and just all that stuff does make me want to check out three houses but it's also one of those things where i can kind of compartmentalize it in my head and, and say like this is not one of the things that i necessarily <laughs> need to be here day one for and yeah I, that's true it, it would be a great thing like in the future when i'm thinking like i don't have very many games to play i'd love just something to show up oh yeah i can go get fire emblem three houses what i do need to be in the zeitgeist for however is super mario maker 2 uh <laughs> it is very important that i'm here within the first month uh for super mario maker 2 you're also playing super mario maker 2 um, uh, a couple weeks ago we had James on and he was talking about he w- how he was playing Super Mario Maker 2 and I didn't have it yet but now I do and I'm so into it it's so cool it's <laughs> always so cool um, yeah how how much Mario Maker 2 have you been playing Um, I play like when it first cause I don't think I got it right when it first came out but I got it within the first uh, like two weeks or so okay. um, and so I went through the entire story and I played a lot of um, I would like see whatever mish or uh, whatever levels were kind of like trending at the time. So I played a few of those. Um, I did some endless runs and stuff. And it's just really fun. I just love that there's just so many different levels that you can play and just kind of like the, the creativity of people. Cause I'm not creative at all. Like I, I haven't made a level. I don't think I ever will. Uh, I say that now, but who knows? I might at some point down the line, but just playing through other people's levels is just, it's crazy to see the creativity um, and it's really fun. I never played the first one because I didn't have, I never got the Wii U, so I haven't played anything from from that generation of Nintendo. So, um, so playing this one, I was it was a completely fresh experience. So I had no sort of 
I had no idea what it was going to be like, but it was, it was really fun. And I, and I like that it's a game that I can just pick up whenever I want and just kind of like play a few levels and just, you know, kind of come back to it every now and then. Yeah, there, there's uh, so many good levels and level makers out there. I, I, I feel like it's a, a really, really cool section of YouTube and Twitch. Uh, people, just Mario Maker focused people. I, mm-hmm. I, one of my new de-stress things uh, is just to log on to Twitch and just watch some people do Mario Maker in the background of whatever I'm do, doing. Uh, yeah. Just playing through levels or making their own levels. Uh, I, I've kind of got like analysis paralysis on, on making my own level right now. I have a few ideas. <laughs> I can't move forward with any of them. I'm stuck. I just, I, <laughs> I r- I'm really focused on, on like making it absolutely perfect uh just for my first level and that's not what you're supposed to do i'm playing it poorly um but the story mode is also really cool have you played any of the story mode i did yeah i played through i like finished it I, you know there's still some levels that i have left over because you can finish it without doing all of the levels um so like i played through all of the main portions of it and play the levels and I, it's a really good kind of like primer kind of teaching you all the concepts and different mechanics too yeah um i've i've been interested in in noting that nintendo seems to have changed their um the way they develop levels based on how the internet develops levels which is kind of weird uh mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that's a net good or bad um but like the the story mode levels that Nintendo makes are very like singularly focused on specific mechanics all throughout that level, mm-hmm. and that's a very new thing. I mean, not not really. Nintendo's always kind of done that. Like in in Super Mario Brothers three, you'll have like oh this entire level's for the Goomba shoe, right? Um, so so that's been around forever as, as yeah. ideas of like what makes the design good, but. Now it's just like everything in this level is about munchers or like everything in this level is about uh, platforms, which is really focused and really cool. But also it, it does kind of take away the idea of like we're in a real place. Uh, we the Mario isn't just like platforming through through nonsense. He's like in an area. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's a trade off that I, I think has been interesting to see because I I don't know how feasible it would be for Nintendo to put out another 2D Mario game that's just a 2D Mario game. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, mm-hmm. Like, I was surprised they were able to, like, re-release New Super Mario Bros. U. That's, that was a big shock to me. Yeah, when that just... Because that one just dropped, like, randomly on a Friday. It was just like, oh, here, here you go. Um, yeah, because like you said, I think with, with Mario Maker just kind of like having the the open-ended of like hey we have all these levels and everyone can make their own levels it's just kind of like it feels weird to have like a singular mario game where you're like hey like here is just these levels and like just this whatever you know story we can concoct but it just kind of in the wake of mario maker 2 especially with how big it's kind of taken off it just feels like it'd be odd to do just like a standalone 2d mario i i completely agree also shout outs to one of my current favorite level creators in in mario maker 2 uh bufflin i don't know if he has like a uh, internet presence at all but bufflin is a great mario maker level maker 
<laughs> and uh, he he's just he makes levels that are pretty hard, like hovering between like five percent completion and like half a percent completion. Um, mm-hmm. But you can always do them if you put enough time into it and, and you 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 think about it hard enough to like really understand everything that he's dealing with. Like he also does that thing I was just talking about that Nintendo's doing, where every level is very much based on one specific idea. Uh, one, one of my favorites of his is just, he just made a level that's all about sliding down hills in the ice, which uh, <laughs> has a few special unique properties that, that make it interesting to, to keep on platforming and maintain your speed during. Uh, it's all really cool, so I, I would recommend you check out him, or just anyone. There's a lot of stuff out there for Mario Maker 2. But let's head into the Newsy Nibble! Wyatt, did you see this bullshit Fortnite did? It's the best. It was like <laughs> actually really good. Like, I, yeah. I, I haven't played Fortnite in months, but whenever they do events, I sort of always look forward to them because they're always pretty interesting. Sometimes they're just kind of like wacky, like the butterfly one that came out that yeah, was yeah, like, yeah. Uh, like six, seven months ago. Um, but this one was really cool, and I had no idea what it was going to be because, like, I knew they were built. They, you know, built this big ass robot. And there was this thing out in the water that they had been like, had been creeping closer over and over. But I, I didn't know they were gonna go full on Pacific Rim for this thing, and it was amazing. It, it's so cool. <laughs> had, for for anyone who doesn't know what happened, they had when everyone was playing. Like if you were just playing a regular match, you could see this happening in the background. It happened live. Yeah. A giant monster. And a giant robot, the robot who had just kind of like been in the ground the whole time buried, just Mm -hmm. emerged and started fighting each other like kaiju style in real time, live for everyone that's playing the game. Uh, That's so cool. (laughs) Yeah. And like, it wasn't just like a quick thing. Like they like, they like one, the robot tackled the, the monster into the ocean and then they came back and then... Like, the robot thought he won, and then the monster came out of nowhere. Like, it, it had its own, like, little story beats, you know? And then it got a sword, and it was just, like, it had <laughs> it had a lot of just, like, crazy, wacky moments that... And then, of course, you know, after the, the, after the end, the victor started flossing. So I was like, okay, this is the most Fortnite thing ever. But it was also just really cool. Like, and I think, like, Fortnite, say what you want, sort of, about the game itself and kind of how ubiquitous it has gotten. But I think they're sort of setting the bar for this live event type structure. I mean, Absolutely. even from the very first with the the rocket launch, like that was cool enough um, from their very first one, but they've just kind of been stepping it up because in no other game, I mean, outside of like, wow, like back in the day when they used to have those huge world events, um, there aren't really any games that do, where like anybody can just go into the game at this specific time and see the same thing. And it's really cool. I wish more games would do it. I mean, I understand not a lot of games are don't really have that, you know, massive presence and just kind of the always on online nature of it. But if more games could do stuff like that, it would be so cool. Cause it's just it was just fun to watch. Even I if you don't play the game. game like it was just this, fun to man. watch. <laughs> like, yeah. Just it like if you're playing Breath of the Wild on a Thursday in August, all of a sudden, everyone playing Breath of the Wild 
sees one of the shrines emerge from the ground and that's actually just the head of the robot and it's got like a huge yeah like that anything anything like that is always cool like this living world stuff mm-hmm. even if it's just dumb and weird like now there's a cube i don't know what to tell you there's just a cube it's just here <laughs> and then the cube it fell into the lake and now we can jump on the lake like it's a trampoline and then like <laughs> yeah so it's like you know that's just the the you know fortnite it's not for everybody you know it's it's a a very specific type of game i mean it's for a lot of people but i i understand not everybody really cares for it but like just if they can just take that idea of just like you said this living world because it doesn't i mean like now that i think about it you know when you mentioned breath of the wild it doesn't even have to be like an an online game even if it's just a game like breath of the wild or you know like spider-man or you know whatever game you have like just being able to like okay if you turn on your game at this time you can watch this thing like imagine spider-man if you go in there and you know the avengers fly out of you know avengers tower and fight like you could recreate movie scenes you know you could recreate like the first avengers inside spider-man and just like you can watch all this stuff unfold or you know just something like that it would just be super cool if more games could do this yeah and like if you're there at the right time maybe tony stark gives you a special avengers spider-man suit he made for you and like yeah anything like that you can keep it like I, i i think the barrier to entry here is that it's very hard to convince players uh to accept an online only single player game yeah uh, you know that i don't think that's gonna fly uh, and that that is like the only way that works but yeah exactly yeah like fortnite is doing such cool cool stuff and it's world building and and it's just like environmental design and, and everything but then it's also just this match-based multiplayer game where you can only go in for little chunks of time mm-hmm. uh so it it feels almost like this is one of the weirdest places to put it but this is the place that it's happening um yeah so what we really are saying is that we want every video game company to crunch as much as riot games yes (laughs) (laughs) uh please don't yeah yeah no we've we've talked about crunch so much on this on this show and it's (laughs) it's not good please don't do it yeah um so this is a segment within a segment i like to call old news uh, we're talking about some old news that we didn't get to talk about at the time, um, just because we have to. And why we're going to finally talk a little bit <laughs> about Gamer Girl Bathwater. Um, so this thing, this thing. <laughs> so I I'm, I put in the notes here. We can talk about Gamer Girl Bathwater for literally two minutes tops before I pull the plug <laughs> and let it sink down the drain. Uh, Bell Delphi. No pun intended exists she is a person uh she's i i guess your, your stereotypical um idea of what an e-girl is uh yeah yeah she leans very heavily into like the e-girl stereotype sure yeah she does she does game streaming like like twitch stuff i i believe uh, which usually goes pretty normal but she also does um some borderline like softcore porn or like light exhibitionism type stuff mm-hmm. sometimes as far as i know she's not like an actual um porn actress although that would be fine that's not what we're talking about here she leans heavy into her sexuality which informs gamer girl bathwater she's decided after getting so many messages 
probably joking at first, but you know, who knows, that people would like pay for her bath water, her used bathed in bath water, that she would just be like, okay, yeah, I'll call your bluff. Let's sell this bath water. <laughs> and it sold yep. so much. <laughs> it sold, it sold a lot. Insane amount of. <laughs> And, I think she yeah. was selling it for like what, like thirty-five bucks a pop or something like that. Oh, was she? Yeah, that's... I think so. I think yeah, she made she made a good amount of money. She, ah, <laughs> and you know what's funny? But before before the the whole gamer girl bathwater thing came up, you know, you said she's not like a full on like porn star, and she's not. But she did. She triggered a bunch of her fans because she she opened up a Pornhub account. Oh, I haven't heard then, about this. Yeah, so she opened up a Pornhub account, and then she titled all of her videos very suggestive things, um, you know, like playing with like a pussy cat or something like that. And she put a bunch of like suggestive thumbnails, but she like did the literal things, mm. like she actually played with a cat, or she actually like you know like was messing with water bottles. So, like she did nothing sexual, but she made all of the thumbnails and all of the titles sound like she was, and then it pissed off all of her fans because they thought like oh my god finally we're gonna get actual stuff and then she didn't or they didn't and then they were very upset about it and then i guess <laughs> yeah well, the gamer girl bathwater was her way of uh giving back and <laughs> <laughs> giving back yeah um so belle delphine is an adult woman who is allowed to use her sexuality in whichever way she sees fit i think that's a very important part yeah. of the conversation that it, it probably it, it goes underserved in internet com- uh, communities demonizing sex work although this isn't really sex work but like it's sex adjacent work i suppose demonizing yeah. sex work just exacerbates any problems having to do with that field solves none of them at all all of my distaste for this situation lies entirely with the customers <laughs> of gamer girl bathwater not her selling it it that said it's it's just a real thing that i i can't get past i can't relax (laughs) when i know this like exists in the world again i don't care about someone selling gamer girl bathwater i do care that people are buying gamer girl bathwater i yep it's it's so much it's so much to me that people are are just like yeah 30 dollars in the mail easy i'll do it to get mm-hmm. some used gross water, um, that's just a that's just a gamer thing that is technically news. Uh, <laughs> thus concludes old news, a section within a section. Um, <laughs> unless you have anything else to say about gamer girl bathwater, no, I th- I think that's good. I think we covered it. Great. Um, last news item: Doom. One, two, and three have been repackaged and, and uh, newly remastered, like a new version of them for modern consoles and PC, uh, and have potentially serious game uh, gating. I almost said gamer girl <laughs> again, uh, <laughs> gating issues. So basically, when you turn on Doom and this new version of Doom, uh, it asks you to log into like a Bethesda account, and you need to be online when you do it. So you can't just download it and be offline and play Doom, despite the fact that it came out in 1990, like I think three or whatever, and and yeah, has always very, been a very offline game. Um, so so that's that's upsetting a lot of people. 
What I think is more interesting here is that an older version of Doom existed for the Xbox 360 and was made to be backward compatible on the Xbox One. So you can play X, uh, this Xbox Live Arcade version of Doom on the Xbox One. And people have noticed that Doom, even if they've bought it and downloaded it, has erased itself from their hard drives. Isn't mm. that wild? Yeah, that's like the... Like when, what was it, 1984, that Amazon deleted off of everybody's Kindle accounts or something a few years ago? I, yeah, I, I don't know, but like, uh, I don't even know how this is like possible. So the old yeah. version of Doom has been removed from the storefront, and I think that's fine. Um, you know, it, it, it sucks, but if, if you want to do that, I guess it's your prerogative. You own the thing. Yeah. But, um, just removing it from certain Xboxes is a step way too far. And Bethesda has not confirmed that they've done this publicly. And what's interesting is that it hasn't happened for everyone. Um, I, I'm going off of a few tweets here. One namely from uh, Chris Alcock, who is a, a, a former Rare employee. He was talking about this. He said, I had Doom downloaded on my Xbox One. And I looked to find it, and it wasn't there anymore. I found out a way to download it back because I had already purchased it by going to my achievements list and finding the game wow. page from there. And on the game page, it says not available to buy on or purchase on Xbox One. But if you have already passed that point where you've purchased it in the past, you can re-download it. So if anyone's having that problem, apparently there is a workaround to like get it again. But uh. I, that, that does not take away from, from the fact that Bethesda has been pretty aggressive about putting out these new versions of Doom. Yeah, and that's just... Like, I understand putting out a new version of a game. Because, like, that happens a lot. Yeah. You know, like, you re-release things. But to then... To remove it from, like, your hard drive? That just feels... Because then it's, it's like... Because if, if, say, you're a person who didn't know that you could go through this back way to go to your achievements and re-download it at that point if you if you wanted to to play it again you'd have to buy it you know right. you have to buy it again so it's like okay bethesda like now you're like forcing people to rebuy games they've already bought like i don't know if that's their aim or if this is a glitch or if that's what they're intending but that's what they're intending to do that's that's a bit much and kind of a precedent that I don't think we want to set. No, we don't. Now, shortly before uh, we started recording this episode today, on the 27th of July, Bethesda put out a press release basically saying, hey, that was supposed to be optional, the login to Bethesda, um, you know, your Bethesda account. That was supposed to be an optional thing that you can do at the start of the game that you don't need to do. Mm, um, okay. Of course, that's like just not the case in most cases um but they, they've said we're, we're putting out a patch soon to make it even more optional <laughs> uh, <laughs> so great um but apparently that's not the only thing uh that same chris alcock put out a video um showing that the modern version of the doom games um uh, highlighting a, a certain section in doom one to do this has a worse frame rate 
in, in like a more hiccupy frame rate than the original 360 version of Doom. Uh, so so that's weird too. Like it's not even yeah, a better version. Issue. It's just it's a weirdly worse version. Jeez, Bethesda is just. It's just you know we've talked about this before, but like they were like on top of the world a yeah. few years ago, and then with just consecutive releases. I mean, with, you know, Skyrim was Skyrim kind of like was the Fortnite of that time. Like everybody played Skyrim, and yeah, everyone definitely. talked about Skyrim. You know, they re-released it fifty thousand times for you know ten, twelve different consoles and mobile devices, and um, but like it's just crazy to see how they've just kind of just taken so many lumps over the last few years you know just with fallout 76 and then now you've got this whole doom thing and who knows when you know elder scrolls 6 is going to come out to maybe try and salvage some things but it's just it's it's sort of mind-blowing just like if you told me five years ago that this is kind of would be the state of bethesda i would have been like you're crazy yeah bethesda is an interesting one because around five years ago like you said they really seemed like a like a a dark horse good guy game publisher mm-hmm. where uh you know like you've got your activisions and your eas and then sometimes yeah. your ubisoft where it's like yeah i know what you're about like you're gonna put out some good <laughs> games that i will really really like um but also you know you've got you've got this thing going on where you're you're gonna make these possibly mistakes possibly just bad Mm -hmm. decisions that the gaming subculture will find really distasteful but you'll do it again and again and again and it's fine i know you're ea when ea disappoints me i'm not disappointed it's like it's almost you you kind of expected it (laughs) yeah it's a comforting reassurance when ea disappoints me all is right in the world <laughs> yeah it's a it's a nice little warm milk to go to sleep with it's it's the balance to the gamer girl bath water <laughs> yeah because Belle delphine has so much to give so I'll, <laughs> ea needs to uh reverse the the the, the scales there but with exactly. with with uh with bethesda they've really not been that for a while they've yeah they they seem to have this position and even even about things like absorbing other companies, which is usually not seen as a good thing, when they did it and they got Doom and Wolfenstein, um, and, and you know they, they started publishing new Doom and Wolfenstein games, everyone was like, "What a great pairing! Like that's awesome." Yeah. Uh, I maybe Independence is still ultimately preferable in some ways and, and, and for some things, but. Uh, we're getting new stuff and it's like as good as it's ever been or better and mm-hmm. now i don't know how people really feel about bethesda on the whole especially yeah. the main studio at bethesda which should be because it's just the main studio like it should be the best i think if fallout 4 came out right now we would kind of hate it i yeah mm-hmm. like fallout 4 got a lot of positive buzz at the time and it's not undeserved necessarily but I, I think we weren't looking for what we find unpleasant about Bethesda's like whole thing at that time, and it is yeah. there in Fallout Four. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, yeah. I think if you kept everything about Fallout Four, but just like you said, put it out now. I don't, especially after the way you know Fallout seventy six kind of just crashed and burned very quickly. 
I, I think a lot of the the shortcomings that people were able to overlook because like oh it's Bethesda and like they're these really fun like branching overarching crazy cool games but I think now that they people have been burned they're less likely to kind of give that slack so like Bethesda has like no leeway these days so they have to just be like a hundred percent on top of every single aspect of things or people are going to kind of react very negatively yeah i feel like starfield is a really important turning point for bethesda or i mean a potential turning point it might not be a turning point but like that that'll be a huge test where we Mm -hmm. saw fallout 76 really backfire like it really didn't go over even slightly positively with just about anyone at all and at that point if they still use the same engine, if they still behave the same way, uh, when Starfield, which is their next RPG and also a cat that hates Mondays, uh, when that <laughs> comes out, if that's if that's still like the same old, same old, I I feel like people are done. Like <laughs> they they had they were the king of the Western RPG, and now. I, I think CD Projekt Red is probably the king of the Western pro- RPG. Like, I, I think they lost yeah. it. I think, yeah, I agree 100%. Well, in other news, now we have an interview with Gavin Price, studio head at Platonic Games. Please enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Super Jump Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Mitchell Farley-Wolf. And I'm here with a really special guest today. We've got Gavin Price from Platonic Games. Hey, Gavin, how's it going? Hello, thank you. I've never been called really special um, in my life, <laughs> so already this is this is a great start. Thank you. Great. I'm 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 happy to be the first one to burst the bubble on on, on that one. I'm I, I think it's well deserved. For our listeners, why don't you just uh, give us a rundown of who you are and what your role at Platonic is? Okay, so I'm a I'm a lucky schmuck who who played a lot of rare games about twenty and twenty five years ago, got a job there with those guys, and then set up a company and hired a load of those guys, um, and that left me a studio director because someone had to do it really, I guess, <laughs> but also designer as well, um, but probably less so moving forwards, which is a shame. It's a sad t- it's a sad time here at Platonic um, House. I I did not know it was a sad time at Platonic. That's an <laughs> that's an interesting well, angle for getting excited about a new game. Yeah, yeah, it's like great that a new game's coming out, but I'm like doing less and less dev work now, so it's all like oh, I'm, I'm missing stuff and missing being involved on a lot of the stuff, oh, and then moving forward. Yeah, I'll have, I'll have to be a bit more grown up about running a company. I think I think that's what we're all agreeing. Um, either that or they just don't want no one wants me sat near them anymore it might be that (laughs) well recently you all announced that the uh, follow-up to ukulele ukulele and the impossible air is on its way so i i think this was a big surprise for a lot of people um but both in terms of 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 seeing a full formed uh fully formed second project so soon and also what it is i i don't think too many people were guessing that it would be a 2D platformer. What was the deciding factor pushing it toward being a 2D platformer versus a 
fighting game or a, a kart racing game. I think a lot of people were guessing that it might have been a kart racer or something like that. Yeah, um, to be honest, it was, it was pretty difficult in terms of um, what to do for the game number two, because we, we definitely want to have this. No one knows exactly quite what is going to come out of our studio next. Um, and we've always said from day one, you know, we want to, we don't want to be a single genre studio. We want to do a few different things. Um, and there was a point during ukulele's development where we started just tried prototyping some 2D levels to appear as sections within the first game. Oh, um, really? Yeah, yeah. And we didn't really have bandwidth to do it properly or justice. Like literally, the designers, we didn't get um, good old Mr. Sutherland to do a 2D character controller for us we he didn't really have the time but we just like stuck two invisible planes down on either side of a load of geometry and started running along as ukulele and we 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 found that it they um it worked quite a lot better than we expected even with our rough designer mad approach and ad hoc way of doing it so um we, we yeah we we kind of thought on it a bit more during the development it was a shame we couldn't get those levels into the first game but um the outcome of it is, well, we were able to think, you know, it sparked a lot of interest amongst us, and we kept discussing it on the side of delivering the first game, and it, it was clear that um, it was something we thought we, we could deliver um, deliver to a, a great standard, and the longer we thought on it, we, we really wanted to do something the second game time around, which really didn't have a foot in the past, like um, ukulele kind of has a foot in the past as a spiritual successor to banjo we never once started this game out as oh what's a spiritual successor to donkey kong country going to be like because we have a lot of donkey kong country x devs right i i think the comparison to donkey kong country would be what a lot of people would think when they first yeah yeah the trailer you know it's, it's inevitable i think if we ever did do a karting game people might say well they've got some people from diddy kong racing or fighting or first person they might say killer instinct or perfect art in a way sure, yeah. so it's kind of like not avoidable but this time around um we don't we don't turn our back on that fact we know you can't go back in time and say oh we didn't work on that stuff but what we wanted to do was make sure we focused a lot more in the areas that would stand out for this game help it stand on its own two feet and do stuff never been seen before um and that was the focus really early on and that's why we've got a really interesting I think we've got a really interesting proposition for the 2D A to B um, platformer, which there aren't a lot of, actually, outside of um, the Nintendo machine. Um, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, there's a lot of Metroidvanias or story-driven kind of inside limbo-style platformers, but actually A to B, you know, Nintendo have kind of had the monopoly on it for a while with Mario and Donkey Kong. I guess we kind of see Rayman and Sonic, but they've all got their own kind of, um unique mechanics um so for us we, we said right well, you know we, we'd love to do do that but it's an opportunity to also do something vastly different with an overworld and a game structure where you can go take on the last level at any point in time um lots of lots of the decisions we were making just led to whole new opportunities that normally don't happen in this genre so we were really really happy with where we've ended up Speaking of being able to go to the last level at any point, I, I I need to ask: was that a was that an inspiration from Breath of the Wild? Is that a conscious uh, takeaway from there? No, no. But we, we we've noticed that that's 
what a lot of people have picked up on straight away from the um, from the announce of the game. Um, and it's interesting. I've in 20 years, you know, I've never never seen a game I've worked on being released or announced. And what we think gets picked up on straight away is actually what does get picked up on straight away. It's, there's <laughs> never been so it's really I should I should even give up trying to predict what's going to come out. But um, no, it's um, it is it's, it's a great comparison because it gives people something instantly they can relate to and think about even though they're two completely different genres. And um, it's really born out of the fact that to be the first thing we wanted to do, the first difference we wanted to create for the genre was to have this interactive overworld and have a go on an adventure, which is great. You can lay all about adventurous characters um, and meeting weird NPCs and having conversations and all that. And it kept on snowballing from there in terms of well, what does what does having this overworld why does it matter? Why you know you can't just do one for a random decision. It will, it will not really gel well with the rest of the game. And so an impossible lair kind of was born from. We started with the overworld was the first grand decision on the game, and you know we just kept thinking, right? What if you didn't have to go to levels in order? What if you could go? Why would you do a level? Because traditionally, if you're on a map screen, for example, in Donkey Kong or Mario, you've got to do the level to build the path along to the next level. Right. And by having an overworld, we didn't need that at all. So we needed some kind of reward at the end of the level to drive actually going into the levels and not just walking past them all on the overworld. So having, having yeah, capturing a bee, which would help within this grand, ultimate, difficult task, um, some might say impossible. Uh, spoiler <laughs> alert. Spoiler alert, it's not actually impossible, but no one... Don't sue us, but it is um it is very difficult. And yeah, so going through these levels, collecting the bees come the end, was all about building up these kind of like hit points for this last very very big difficult challenge. So it was it was one of the things that came after. And I guess because of that, in our minds, the big USP throughout the game initially internally was always, oh, it's gonna be this overworld, and then um it comes out and gets announced and everyone else focuses on um the impossible air, which is good because that's also the name of the game. Um, which also came came literally. The game was called something else five days before it was announced, and then and then it was the impossible ukulele. Five days, really? Yeah, yeah. That's why the um, uh, we noticed some people comment on the logo. <laughs> We're like, yeah, that was that was done a bit quicker. The original logo was um, for a different title, had a bit more production value behind it, but it was a bit of a, a quick job to turn this around. Was was but there a it, legal issue with the title? Like, what? Why? Why would why did that happen? No, no, it's um, it's quite boring business reasons to be honest. We liked the idea of um, it being a bit more pun based and um, a bit more playful. But until we're like as big as Nintendo, we're not really going to get away with doing that and have a title that's great for that marketing teams like and your business part partners like and say, hey, this will help us do this um and the original title was going to be ukulele and plan b um yeah. but then that you know people will point out saying that sounds like your plan a didn't work out and this game's inferior somehow to what could have been <laughs> I, we were like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah i suppose i could see that and we get like that platonic fans get it but we also need to sell the game to new platonic fans and we don't want to get off on the wrong foot with them so so, yeah, for those reasons, really, it's no, it's no longer ukulele plan B as it once was. It's ukulele in the possible lair, but it's worked out great because it 
as a title straight away it gives something people can focus on and think about and it's almost like a, a red red rag to a bull i'm sure for many people they'll be thinking hey i'll i'll decide if it's impossible or not not you guys you know and they'll give us their money and we'll be like wahaha yes it's just a clever name it is possible really though five days i can't imagine how stressful that would have been to <laughs> completely change the brand wow Oh, yeah, but we bought Daily in, so we just palm everything stressful on Daily now. That's like, here you go, Daily. Okay. We're, uh, yeah, Wait, we're, we're, yeah. Going, we're going she, for an early lunch. She's up for it. Um, <laughs> so with, with the uh, with the entrance into the 2D platforming genre, I think a lot of people are now wondering, um, is there a chance for a return to the 3D platformer genre in the future? Are we going to see more 2D platformers in the future? Obviously, this game isn't even out yet, so that would be probably well into the future. But uh, where where are you thinking with that right now? Oh, I, I, I honestly think we'll see more of what we've already done and lots of new stuff too. Okay. In a, in a strangely non-committal... <laughs> sense you know i've actually i'm in a room by myself actually for the first time in ages i don't have anyone from pr or marketing like watching over my every word or you know with a with a blade to my throat um but even but I've, they've trained me so well now that even i can come out with the stock bland horrible boring response but yeah we know we we, we really do listen to what people are saying online and our difficulty because believe me we want to do we want to do fun spacey um shoot 'em ups, third person shoot 'em ups. We want to do Carter games. We want to do more 3D platformers. We want to do more 2D platformers. We we do want to do a lot and some really more left field indie stuff. I think that um, um would also be great fun. Our problem is always going to be about saying, hey, don't worry. We're not saying those things aren't being done. We just have one game to announce publicly and speak about right now. And that's where we're at because right now there's just a few feet away inside the wall, there's people thinking about two or three different things um, which come next. And, you know, we're having, like I said earlier, we're having to be a bit more business-led and write things like five-year business plans. And that means you start thinking about exactly what titles are going to be coming one after each other in a timeline. And it's really exciting because we get excited talking about the games that we want to be making. But um, there's not any two games, you know, in the same genre in terms of what we're talking about doing next, which is great. I remember a Kickstarter video for the original ukulele Kickstarter. Someone on the team said that they anticipated or, or maybe hoped is, is a better word that at some point Platonic would be in a place where we are um, seeing multiple games being worked on in, in parallel. Is that something that is happening currently or something that you're in, still aspiring to? I would say that that will be happening currently. Alongside, don't forget, we still know we have some um, things to do on the first game as well. You know, it's, it's not been abandoned. However, things happen as time goes on where you think, ah, doing that would be kind of cooler to do it a bit further down the line. I know it's frustrating initially for fans, but in hindsight, like when you can say, ah, you know, there's something we know we have to do. There's opportunities to do it in a slightly different way to what was originally envisioned. And we think, ah, that justifies it. That'd be kind of cool. So yeah, new stuff, something old, something new, something 
nothing borrowed and nothing blue. So <laughs> not quite like the rhyme, but interesting times, I'd say. Yeah, when you launched, you were only six or seven employees, right? And now you're over 30. Um, we're just under 30, but we're hoping to go to over 30 over the next, yeah, it depends how many people we can con into coming and working for us again. You know, we're, we've done well so far. Um, it's, it's been great. And it's a side that of the business that fans never see, but professionally in the development community, there's... There's always a lot of interest from really interesting people to come in and speak to us and work with us. So hopefully we can get um, those numbers up soon. And that'll only mean that um, we can have more games to talk about um, soon in the not too distant future as well. Well, it's a very um, uh, impressive expansion. Uh, same question as earlier, slightly different uh, focus. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't know if you were saying a joke then or not. A double entendre or something. Oh, uh, you know, I wasn't, but it can be, and now it is. I've retconned it to be a joke. <laughs> Same question as earlier, but but also different. The ukulele universe around the time of the original Kickstarter was pitched as something where every game, or, or every character in the game, rather, every character in the universe could conceivably have their own game and now we're seeing a second game also starring yuka and laylee has that goal um changed in in, in the last two years or so or, or are we uh are, are we still someday gonna see trouser and and vendi and all all those fun characters get their own starring yeah titles? Uh, yeah you know trouser's obviously the the fps character um, sure. No, it's still fun. Get these guys and in their in their own games and experiences somewhere along the line. But we're still really, really, really young as a company as well. Um, the ambition and the passion to go and do all that stuff it, it, it's all still there. That's still the plan. Um, second game around, you know, it, it just made sense. Um, and Steve Mayles kept saying to me, "Gav, I need more money. I'm getting more and more twi Twitter followers by the day." And I was like. <laughs> No way. For that, we're just going to reuse the old characters. Um, that's cheaper. So that put him back in his place, which is which is the most important thing to do when um, when Playtonic uh, decide what game to work on next. Oh, you got to do that. That's that needs to be in the design document. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> put it, putting your coworkers down a few pegs. Uh, I have a friend. This is not important, but I have a friend who insists that the best way for trouser to have his own game is for him to curl up in in like a wheel and behave like sonic the hedgehog turning over himself really really fast get gaining speed in that way and he's he's told me about this several times <laughs> he's absolutely convinced that trouser is is platonic's gateway into sonic the hedgehog platformers so that's that's our gift to you you can have that that's for free that that'll put snake battle and goal um down down the list where trouser plays a battle version of soccer but um yeah yeah oh. no we'll take that we'll give you, we'll we'll put some credit out there for you fantastic i i wanted to talk a little bit about how the previous game was a spiritual successor to banjo kazooie and this game game isn't. Um, do you worry at all that to the player Yuka and Laylee's origins being what they are, um, the characters might be mentally inseparable f 
from being a retro revival in future titles? It would be hard to predict at this point. I mean, only time will tell. And, it, you know, maybe they will be for a while, but over the long term of whatever happens in the Playtime universe, eventually, you know, they've got to go on a journey and and become their own thing and stand for something for themselves, not just to be known as some retro characters battling to find their way in, in today's world. So I, th- I think that's all to figure out moving ahead. Um, the great thing is the best best way to answer that is to have great games starring them and doing them, pushing them as characters and different different ways and storylines. So time will tell. Time will tell. Maybe now I'm gonna I'm really panicking if that's the if you're asking that question and like I'm gonna you're just gonna hear me tapping on the keyboard in a minute saying mental note, change course direction on what you and Lady are doing next. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I definitely don't want anything I ever say to impact anything important in the real world. That would be too much you've responsibility. Now, you've done it now. It's too late. <laughs> I, I actually have been really impressed with how Impossible Air really makes the pre-existing ukulele universe seem like much more of its own thing, and and uh, like it's got a, a suddenly a, a lot of iconography and a lot of tone and and feel that aren't related to anything that that's happened in the past really has gotten its own identity at least in my opinion i i think that's pretty impressive thanks yeah that's definitely more of a goal is to be more progressive with ukulele's own themes and be it an environment a character a collectible or even sound the way audio behaves in the game we're doing a lot more thought into how do we start taking this and running with it for in, in our own sense, not not with any ties to the past. Not sometimes not even ties to Yukonelli's own past from, from the first game. Um, you know, there you can go visit Shipwreck Creek in this game and it might not quite be the Shipwreck Creek as people remember it. But um also maybe there's reasons for that as well. So there's definitely a lot of um a lot of content for fans invested in the universe to go over and pour over and kind of discuss and wouldn't you know we're, we're, we're certainly keeping an eye on what people are thinking or saying in terms of what's going on um and it's really nice to think of how when you make a game you're not just making a game that people play finish turn off that, that people then think on it and dwell on certain things and, and want to create communities around discussing um everything that goes on it's actually really fantastic and we genuinely put a lot of thought sometimes into stuff which we think will actually further and trigger those conversations um not just for our own amusement to then sit back and watch what's being said on forums and you know but um it's it's just a really nice way to think about games these days as having these communities on the other side of an internet connection that means something i think as we go forward in the games industry at least from what we at superjump have continually been talking about on almost every episode of the podcast so far is how important community and how big a community involvement can be for a game how like all all of the the major most popular games so far like you know fortnite of course Mm-hmm. Uh, are, are are getting where they're going specifically because people are talking about them with, with a, a perspective beyond just themselves playing it. They're talking about them trying to put these games together. So I, I think that uh, 
that perspective is is really important in a game. So it's good to hear that you guys have that going on. Another thing that I, I think is uh, very interesting is that the Impossible Layer is going to be on the Switch the, the same day as it's going to be on everything else, which was not the case for the first game, but I, I think was a very uh, a, a very highly requested feature for, for, for the first game. Uh, how, did, how did that go about? Working? Yeah, and, well, start, starting with the, the first game, it wasn't for want of, not wanting to or for lack of effort that we couldn't get the Switch version day and day. Trust me, we'd have, as a company, we'd have probably made more money having the Switch version there the same time as the others, and we really wanted to, but we we're not in this like a uh, position where Platonic right now are so rich and such a big company that we can solve all our problems alone. We kind of have other people in kind of like with you know we use middleware, and I don't want to disrespect anyone who helps us get our games out, but we have dependencies elsewhere as well, and for lots of different reasons, you just can't quite do exactly what you want to do sure uh, and with, with the first game that was the case and second time around though we a lot of the um the barriers that were there on for the first game just didn't exist for the second game and we specifically targeted um game performance to um for the switch the switch was the lead platform we we went with on um, the second game we always wanted it to be platform parity from an in-game perspective and a business perspective with every um, with every other version. And we, we know our numbers. We know the Switch um, audience is our biggest um, console audience out of all of them. It's even bigger than our PC audience, actually, as time's gone on. And that would have probably been even more so the case had it launched day and date with um, the other versions from the first year. So, no, we're, you know, we're huge. We come from a Nintendo development background a long way away many of us i'd say 90 percent of the um the devs we've got here as gamers are all nintendo fanboys so it means a lot to us to support the switch from day one um there's no reason not to moving forwards um so yeah we're really happy it's going to be our, for you know even people like chris sutherland steve mails mark stevenson Stephen. All, all the really old guys. This is actually going to be the first time they've ever launched a game multi-platform across all um, all relevant hardware that's actually out there at one point in time. And they've been in the industry for like 30 years. So when you think about it like that, it's allowing us to like tick off new bucket list boxes and say, hey, wow, wow we've actually done this. Um, well, I, I hadn't considered that. Yeah, and I guess it would have been but yeah, that that that's amazing. Speaking of, of Switch, now that Banjo Kazooie has been announced for Super Smash Brothers, I'm sure that there's going to be some sort of revitalized interest in in uh, Rare and Platonics IPs on the Switch. So I I, I can imagine that there's going to be a, a boost in the amount of excitement there for this game as well. I, I hope so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've still got so many friends still back at Rare working on. You know the games they're doing over there, and they're in total control of whatever ever happens with the IP. So we were thrilled as gamers and thrilled for our friends seeing things like Banjo coming over onto um, Smash, 
Um, we're, we're, you know, I honestly don't have any secret insight, but I, I hope, you know, the floodgates could open in terms of getting rare content onto um, Nintendo devices. I'd, I'd be very a very happy gamer. Yeah, and if they if they ever did think, you know what, we don't have we don't have time to do all this uh, um, the, this content with our old uh, IPs whilst we're, we're working on Sea of Thieves, you know, I'm I'm only ever a phone call away. We could, okay. we could, I'll, we could I'll, I'll put your uh, I'll put your name in for them. Just yeah, in case. if we met halfway, there's a real good rich vein of English countryside pubs just between uh, our office and Rare's office. So that that that's what makes business sense the most. I think the fact that beer would get drunk. I'm I'm still surprised that at, at least according to some of the interviews that you guys have put out, that you didn't seem to know Banjo was going to be in the game. I would have assumed that. It would have been some sort of open secret in, in in the industry, especially in that region, with with all of you guys sharing ties. Uh, I think I think like uh, I'm amazed. I'm a, I'm so amazed. Grant Kirkhope kept that one quiet. <laughs> like if anyone's going to spill the beans on anything, it's going to be Grant. So if even he, you know, he he knew, and no one else did, that's it. We we we've got no chance of knowing this kind of stuff. And um, yeah, I, I wouldn't want that responsibility either. I wouldn't. I'd be, I'd be too overexcited. So I wouldn't be able to focus on my day-to-day job. So no, no, it was a really lovely surprise. And um, when, when you know, when it happened in the office, we were all gathered around watching the direct. Um, and we, we made that New York Nintendo store video um, look look calm and polite compared to our reactions. One one last thing about ukulele and the impossible layer. If you were to describe the design philosophy going into this game in three words, what would those words be? Blimey, O'Reilly. No, well, well, that's that's my reaction to that question, not the uh, design philosophy for the well, game. It does happen to be three words, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Blimey, O'Reilly. No, um... <laughs> I, I could joke and say things like, still in business, or... <laughs> 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 Um, you know, I think, I think, you know, one of the things we wanted to do is something, something new and not just for ukulele, but in the genre, we didn't want, we, we, we're confident you can't go and play a game like this elsewhere. If you want a mixture of 2D platforming and 3D overworld, where the 3D overworld really has an impact on the adventure and what happens, you know, this game we think is. It's progressive, I guess, is what I'd say in terms of um, the genre. Um, so progressive would be in there for sure. Okay, we got progressive. Uh, yeah, one of the other design philosophies. Inclusive. Ooh, okay. Inclusive. So we did a lot of things like in um, ukulele where perhaps there was a bit too much in-joke or, hey, if you've been a fan of Rare for the past 20 years, you may guess what this joke's about or something. And it's really great, and it means something to a small bunch of people, but it can mean that a lot of people who you want to come in and enjoy your game feel like they're not in the um, they're not on the inside club, so to speak. So wanted this game to be a lot more inclusive. If you've never, if you don't know that Playtonic is a bunch of ex-rare devs or ukulele, um, have already had a game out, you know, you can come to this game and you can still enjoy it on a grand level. And the stuff which is kind of like hints a bit more at our heritage is a bit more um buried buried a bit deeper for people to go off and find who who like to 
pour through every um, conversation in the game or seek out every single area. So progressive, inclusive, and um, possible. Okay, progressive, pos- yeah. inclusive, and possible. I, that's great. That's a that's a fantastic collection of words. Thank, Thank you. you so much for uh, talking with me here. Gavin, I do this every time I speak with any former or current member of Rare, and I, I put him in the hot seat. I have one question about a, a past Rare title that I've asked everyone I've come across, and literally no one has been able to answer it. Are you up for the challenge? I am, yes. I'm. Hang on. I'm just going to flex my shoulders back, crunch my <laughs> fingers, and... Yeah, go for it. Okay. In Banjo-Tooie, you could collect the ice key and the blue and pink stop-and-swap eggs from Banjo-Kazooie by breaking open Banjo-Kazooie game packs in the game, in the original Nintendo 64 version mm-hmm. of the game. You could also find the yellow egg in Henny's Egg Shack. So that leaves three other eggs that were in Banjo-Kazooie but were not in Banjo-Tooie. What were those three eggs originally going to be for? A chameleon and bat spin-off experience <laughs> game. Thank you Which... so much for being on the podcast, Gavin. You've been great. You're welcome. You're welcome. No, it's been a pleasure and thank you for having us. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Anytime. Wow, what a great interview! <laughs> what was your favorite part, Wyatt? The whole thing. It was just so fun. <laughs> cool. Uh, if you want to write into the show, you can do so at podcast at superjumpmagazine.com. But let's head into our after-school activities. Uh, so, speaking of interviews, my after-school activity is the podcast Pal Keys. Uh, if you've listened to past episodes, you know Daryl Baxter. He's been on the show a couple times. He's got his own podcast, Pal Keys, and he interviewed me for it re- recently. So, that was uh, pretty fun. It's a good show, but you probably hear enough of me already if you are subscribed to this podcast. If you go on Pal Keys and, and look at their, their past episodes, uh, there's one that our very own James Burns did. Um, uh, one from uh, Platonic employee uh, that wasn't Gavin, but Daly Johnson did, uh, just and tons of other people. Uh, Daryl's got a really impressive guest list on that podcast, so I highly recommend you go check that out. Uh, Wyatt, what is your after-school activity? Uh, so mine is going to be, uh, speaking of Tekken 7, what we were talking about earlier, um, there is this FGC... Um, they're, they have a YouTube account, but they also have a Patreon. They basically do these really cool documentaries where they dive deep into different um, games. And the most recent one that they released is called The Road uh, to the King of Iron Fist, which basically documents the early days of Tekken 7. Um, because if for those who don't know, Tekken 7 came out on arcades uh, about a year before it actually came to console. So there was like a whole arcade circuit where like they actually brought around like arcade boards and kind of did tournaments with arcades um which is like a very archaic concept to most people these days um so this is this document it's a beefy i think it's about like over 80 minutes um it's a it's a really really long um documentary i mean as far as you know like youtube documentaries go 
Uh, but it really is, is a cool look at kind of the early scene of Tekken 7. So if you're kind of curious about the behind the scenes, or just kind of want to see how Tekken 7 sort of started out. Um, if you're looking forward to Evo coming up this weekend, I think that'd be a really fun one to watch. Cool, cool. That's awesome. Um, so thank you very much for listening. Uh, the theme song to this episode has been by Jamitar. Uh, I believe the song is called Jerome, if I remember correctly. Please subscribe, review us on iTunes, tell a friend. Thank you for listening, and stay super! Super!